You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. We are going to be continuing. You heard our text. It's a lot of text, but it really is all the same idea, and so we'll see that in a minute. A few weeks ago, actually it was last week, there was a baseball game in Atlanta. Your Atlanta Braves versus uh, the Lord's team, the team of America, the Philadelphia Phillies, home of Liberty, the cheesesteak, Wawa, everything good in America comes out of Philly, right? So there's, it's this game, it's a tight game, it's tied, top of the ninth inning. Some of you know what I'm talking about, you're already, you're already still angry about this, but uh, man on third, one out, fly ball to left field, the guy on third tags up. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's because you know baseball, it's okay, you'll understand in a minute. Uh, guy tags up, there's a close play at the plate, umpire says safe, because he was safe. Um, he was safe, whatever the umpire says. In the sovereignty and the authority given him by God as the authority on that field, he is safe. They go to the replay booth. The guy in New York drinking coffee and eating a donut, he says safe, because he in his sovereignty and wisdom calls him safe. Good guys win, bad guys lose. But you would have thought the city, and you said this is the bitterness that you guys struggle with. You've lost your mind. It's been a week and you're still mad. And I understand. You got one World Series last time, 1995. Should have won like 10. I understand that Nick Saban and that uh, Tom Brady have ripped your soul out multiple times, Georgia fans. I get this. But this, this, that, that game reveals a greater issue. And it's not that you pick losers to root for. The issue is the issue of complaining. It's of grumbling. It's of whining, which is a big issue. And I know it's, you know, in the, in, the, in the big scheme of things, we often, you know, talk about complaining and, and we talk about, you know, big things like murder and adultery and drugs and all these things. But for the people of God, complaining matters. That's what you need to grasp. That's what we're going to talk about today. Um, for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, complaining is a big deal. And can we just own up front so we don't have to deal with it, that we all do it? Okay, we all do it, whether it's the kids saying, you know, I know it's not fair, I'm 12 years old, they get to date and I don't get to date, why do I get to date and why do I get to be at 11 o'clock and why do I have to do my homework and clean my room, right? I don't like this for dinner, I don't want this for dinner. And there's the old, there's starving kids and somewhere they, they will eat this. Or, or parents, what am I, you mean another project, you have another project, you mean I have to make cupcakes for what? You have to, I have to do this, I have to do that. At work, I don't get paid enough, it's too long of hours. You're driving to work on 516. Who created 516? Who made I-16? It's your fault for moving to Pooler. No one blamed you, pulled you to move to Pooler. Just don't complain. It's the Nats. It's too cold. Church is too long. Church is too short. Music's too loud. Music's not loud enough. I have to park too far. Pastor's too tall. Pastor's too short. We do it all over the place. So let's just own it up front. And the point is not to make us feel guilty about it. Okay, that's not my point. Here's what I want to do. I want to move beyond the low-hanging fruit of complaining, right? And, and, and do what God has called us to do. Because I'm going to do this right up front. I don't usually do this, but let me give you the, the whole sermon in a verse. All right, so if you're going to check out, check out after this. This is what Paul says. Do all things. Can everyone say all? All. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. Is that clear? I mean, do I need to unpack that? There's no magic in the Greek there. That's, that's pretty clear. All things without grumbling and complaining. But he tells you why. You'll be innocent, children of God. This is fitting to be, uh, for those who follow God, who are children of God, to not complain uh, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation that all they do is complain. 
And notice what he says at the end. Among whom you shine. Here's the idea. Remember, God is creating a people for his own possession, a holy nation, a holy priesthood, right? His own people that are distinct from the world, that shine. That's what he's doing in Exodus. That's what he is still doing. And so one of the ways we shine is that we do not grumble and complain like everybody else. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at, quickly, we're gonna look at some reasons why not to complain and then some, some kind of hopefully encouragements for you I'm not talking about an A plus B. Okay, if you plug in these three things, you'll never complain again. I'm not talking about that. But there is some encouragement for you to work through, to give you to think about when, when the temptations to whine are there, uh, that you can fight them. So where we've been, if you're a guest of ours, we've been working through Exodus. The people of, of God have come out of Egypt, you know, Prince of Egypt, Ten Commandments. Uh, they've gone through the Red Sea. And last week we saw they had this great big worship service, two million people singing. Unbelievable. Right, And so that's where we pick up. And what God's gonna do now is he's gonna give them a test. He's actually three tests. How many of you know that God gives pop quizzes all the time? He gives tests all the time. Some of them are big, some of them are small. And the point of a test is to do what? Is to reveal something. It's to reveal what you know, right? And, and it's not so God will be like, oh, that's what I thought. I thought they were going to fail that, but I didn't know. No, God knows already. God is omniscient. God is sovereign. So he knows the result of the test. So the test is not for him. It's for us. So that we see uh, we are re- something is revealed about ourselves, and then we can deal with it. And what God's going to do is he's going to test them in three different ways. And what it's going to reveal to them is they have an issue with complaining. It is going to be a besetting sin for them. And so there's gonna be some encouragement for them to to fight that, but that is what it's gonna be revealed. So let's jump into the first test, verse 22 of chapter 15. Moses made Israel sit out from the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness. They found no water. Okay, that's a significant issue, right? No water. That's real. That's legit. They came to Marah. They could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled. And it's a strong word in the Hebrew. It means, it's, it's not just like, ah. It's like, they're, they're going after it. They're complaining. They're, they're attacking, right? This is not, you know, Moses, I know you're busy leading two million people and all, but um, kind of thirsty and just wondering if you had a plan. See, that would be legit. That would be okay. That's a real issue. There's a real concern here. We're thirsty, got kids, got cows. This is, boo, Moses. We hate Moses. That, that's what this is. This is going after, this is questioning, what are you doing, Moses? Why are we here? Are you, even in, are you even in charge here? What's going on? Do you even know where we're going, Moses? That's what this is. It's complaining. It's grumbling, right? And Moses responds the way the people should have responded. He cries to the Lord. The Lord shows him a log, throws the log into the water. Water becomes sweet. They're able to drink. It's a miracle. But see, this has all been a test. This has all been a test to, to reveal something to the people of God. So God says that. He says, I made a statue and a rule. Here it is. He tested them saying, if you diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. Why? Because I am Yahweh, your healer. It's a great word. It's Yahweh Rapha, right? I am your healer. I'm not just the healer of the water. I am your healer, right? That's what I am. I am good, 
right? I'm the one who's going to be here with you. And so there's going to be ups and there's going to be downs and there's going to be tests and you're going to be thirsty and you're going to be hungry. But if you will just trust me, if you just follow me, if you just listen to me, it's going to go well. And the next thing he does is a miracle. He, he takes him to, in essence, Palm Springs. He takes him to this place where there's 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. And they're like, this is what I'm talking about, Willis. Right, you know, little umbrellas in the, in the drinks and we're chilling by the water. This is nice. But see, that's what God does in his grace. Right, he leads us beside still waters. He restores my soul, right? So he's trying to, he tells him basically, okay, you failed test number one, right? But here's how you pass the rest of the test. This is, this is the, the cheat sheet. Just trust me. Just follow me, right? And so they hang out there for a bit. Uh, but, but of course, the, the cloud has to move. So verse, chapter 16, verse one, they set out for Melim and the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. It's not called the wilderness of sin because they sinned in it. It's just its name. It's just ironic that they sinned in the wilderness of sin, uh, which is between Elam and Sinai and on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So we're about a month out if you follow the tra- track in. Passover is on the 10th, month of the pr- 10th day of the previous month. So we're a month out, a month out from leaving, pretty fresh, pretty new, they leave Palm Springs. They didn't want to probably, but they leave. And this is test number two. Test number two is hunger. They're gonna be hungry. Look what it says, verse two. The whole congregation, underline that in your mind or in your Bible. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. At first it says the people grumbled. So there's probably a, a good group. Now everybody, two million people. What are we gonna do It's just spaz. And Moses and Aaron are like, wait, one at a time, right? And here, here's what I want you to see. A couple things about grumbling and complaining and whining and, and, and why it's not fitting, all right? Here's the first one right out of this verse. Number one is complaining is contagious. It spreads. And if you have kids, you, you grasp this. You know, when, you, when one of your kids gets like the rotovirus, man, and you know that thing, you, what do you do? You take that child, you put that child in the attic with some ginger ale, a TV, and some saltines and say, do not rem- don't come out until you're done. Because you know, if that child spreads it to one child, it's over. It's, it's the family gets it, mom gets it, dad gets it, kids get it, dog gets it, cat gets it, beta fish gets it, neighbors get it. It's out. And it's like wildfire and it spreads. That is complaining. It, it probably started, a couple people, what are we gonna eat? Man, I'm hungry. What are we gonna eat? Man, I'm hungry. Next thing you know, everyone, what are we gonna eat? Oh, and they're spazzing and they're yelling Moses. And it's not like Moses doesn't know they're hungry. Guess who else is hungry? If they're hungry, Moses is hungry. He doesn't have like some stash of tasty cakes. He's like, well, well, I thought y'all had some of these. No, he's hungry too. But it's contagious. And you see this in the house. Why do we order from Little Caesars? I wanted Papa John's. Well, I wanted Domino's. Well, I wanted Screaming Mimi's. Well, I wanted this. Why does he always get the last bowl of Lucky Charms? I wanted the last bowl of Lucky Charms. And what is it? His show to watch. And it just spreads through the kids. Or it spreads through the office. Because this person, well, they, how come they get to leave early? I never get to leave early. How come, how come they get a raise? I didn't get a raise. And it just spreads. Right? And so this is why you have to be on guard, follower of Christ. Because if you're wondering why your kids are yelling at the umpires, maybe because it's you're yelling at the teachers. Because I, my kids should have gotten A. Because they should have gotten this. Or maybe it's because you're complaining about your spouse or complaining about your boss. So, that, so you're the middle manager and, and you're, you're always complaining about the CEO and the owner and they don't get what's, what's going on here. And everyone under you is complaining about you. And you're like, why are they complaining about me? I'm good. Because maybe you've spread that, that virus. Right? And so... 
we just got to acknowledge it is a virus and it is, it is contagious. And it's so contagious, I actually read some studies this week. Do you realize that the more you complain, that you actually, you, you actually rewire your brain for complaining? Did you know that? The more you complain, the more you, you actually are predisposing yourself to complaining. So when you go into a situation, whether it's neutral or not, but if you're a complainer and a whiner, you're automatically gonna side negative. So if you're thinking, I don't know if I'm gonna like this meal. I don't know if I'm gonna like that job. I don't know if I'm gonna like that person. I don't know if I'm gonna like that church. You're not going to because you've already decided because your brain is wired up for complaining because it's contagious, right? That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Complaining distorts reality, it just does. It fogs your, your vision. Look at verse three. The people of Israel said, would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. I mean, listen to that. Do you believe these people? They're like, oh, the good old days in Egypt when Pharaoh was killing our sons. And making us, you know, work with, making us provide straw and enslaving us for 300 years. Those were the good old days. How distorted. And, and, oh, we sat by meat pots. I find it hard to believe that the man who was killing them and, and busting their tails was like, hey, everyone, let's go to the Golden Corral. All you can eat on me. I find it real hard to believe that that was going on. But they're their whole thing has been distorted and warped, right? It's, it's, it's cloudy. They, they're, oh, they're gonna, we do this all the time. I do it. Man, if everything was like the 80s, 80s were the best. Were they though? I mean, have you seen your yearbook people in the 80s? Have you seen your hair? Don't ever bring that bangs back. Now we can roll some cuffs up. And I, I really do wanna have the turtleneck with the, with the V-neck come back. That's a good look, but... I mean, the bangs, no. The movies that I grew up loving, thinking they were the best movies ever I watched, about, they don't hold up so well. Not the second time. But we, we have a foggy view of the past. My old boss, he wasn't this bad. My old, my, our old house, we just loved our old house and it was so great. Really, you were complaining about it back then. It was too small. My, my old car, oh, I love that old car. Oh, why'd you sell it? I was always breaking down. Why are you longing for it then? It just, it's always the good old days. The grass is always greener. And it's because complaining warps your, your past. It warps your present. Look at these things. You brought us out to kill us. Really? Do you think Moses, that's just what intended? I mean, Moses was living in retirement, taking care of some sheep. He had it made. And, and he's, he's like, yeah, you're right. I, I purposely left retirement, came here to face Pharaoh, deal with all that rigmarole. And then walk y'all, y'all's tails through the wilderness. Hear y'all complaining day after day after day. That was my dream. Also, I could kill you. You figured me out, people. Yes. I, it distorts past. It distorts present. Right? It's contagious. It makes us myopic. All we see is this. This is the most important thing. This traffic jam that I am in right now is the most important thing in the world. Because I can't see anything else distorts here's another thing and this, this is pragmatic and practical it's a complete waste of time i mean how many times have you complained about the sand gnats and the gnats were like oh i'm sorry i've been bothering you i'm going to move on to the next person how many times does that happen how many times have you man it's too cold out here and god's like really okay i'll make it 75 is that okay with you 
How many times have you been on Duran yelling at the person in front of you to go, 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 and that actually changed how they drive? How many times you complain about your, your parents being unfair and unjust and this and that and this and they should let me do this and it changed them? How many times have you complained about the food? Has it made it taste better? You see where I'm going? It's a colossal waste of time and energy and it's contagious and it distorts your reality, right? So, so, so why do we do it, right? Why do we go there? But look at God's graciousness. Look, look again how he does. The Lord says to Moses, I'm gonna rain bread. See, if I'm God, I'm gonna rain something, but it ain't gonna be bread. I'm gonna rain acid, you know, acid rain or something, you know, some hailstones or something. But this is God's grace to his people. Now, he, he takes complaining serious. He's real gracious with them because they're young in their journey. By the end of their journey, he's, he's done with the complaining because he's given some proof that you can trust me. Uh, but right now, he's being super gracious. He's like, here, I'm gonna provide for you, right? I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them. There's that language again. I'm gonna test them whether they walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what, what they bring in, it will be twice as much as, as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, notice this now, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. They've been blaming, Moses, Aaron, it's your fault. He's like, no, no, you're gonna know that it's Yahweh who's been bringing you here, not us. Who are we? We're, we're just like y'all. We're just following the cloud. We're going where the cloud goes, right? So you're gonna know that it's the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he's heard your grumbling. Underline this, against the Lord. For what are we? that you grumble against us. And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Three times he says it. Three times. It's, you, you think you're complaining against me and Aaron. It's not us. You're grumbling against God Almighty. Three times he highlights it in that text. And this is why Grumbling for us, this, this is really the, 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 the main point, right? This is why complaining is not fitting. This is why God calls us out on it because complaining dishonors our God. It dishonors our God. You may think you're complaining against your dog, the engineers who designed the roads, your spouse, your kid's teacher, the government, whatever. You may think that's what you're complaining against, but what you're really saying is, God, I don't like the way you're running my life. You are not for my good, even though you say you are. You are not in control. You don't know what I need. You don't know what's best for me. I don't trust you because you're not good. That's why it's a big deal. You're not looking out for me. You don't know what's best. I deserve better than this. And see what complaining does, it shows that there's a heart problem because your mouth speaks that which fills the heart. And so when there's complaining that comes out of the heart, it shows that there's a heart problem. It's an assault on the character of God. And, and look, let's be transparent. Life stinks sometimes. It's hard. God's gonna send and allow big tests. I mean, big tests, right? MCAT type tests. And he's gonna have little pop quizzes. And some of them are gonna be challenging. Some of them are gonna be not so challenging. But it, it's, it's not going to be easy. 
If God wanted life to be easy, he could have made it easy. Peter tells us that it's, it's our time, it's the church's time to be tested, right? The judgment has begun with the household of God. Uh, and, and if it's with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will be the outcome of the, of the unbeliever? But it's our time to wrestle and struggle and to be tested and stuff because we're gonna have our reward. We're gonna have the glory of the kingdom. But it's gonna be hard and you're gonna face tests and it's okay, right? It's okay. But how you respond matters. Most of life is not what happens, it's how you respond to what happens, right? How will we respond? And so we don't wanna respond in a contagious, blurring our vision, waste of time, dishonoring God way. So let me give you three words. Three words to think about, three words to help us, three words to kind of work through maybe in our community groups, and our families, talk with our friends. And again, this is not, if you just plug in this formula, you'll never complain again. That's not gonna happen. But these are things that, to kind of fight this, to fight the propensity of it. And these are kind of Christianese words, but that doesn't mean they're not good for us. And I'll kind of unpack them a little bit. Here's the first word, all right? Here's the big one, is trust. Trust. How many of you know that one of the things that God wants from us is our trust? He wants our love. He wants our worship. He wants us to trust Him. When the people of Israel, after forty years, or one, I mean, not after forty years, when they go to the Promised Land, and it, remember, this was not meant to be a long journey. This was meant to be like, okay, out of Egypt, down to Mount Sinai, and then we're going to the Promised Land. It turns into Gilligan's Island. A three-hour tour turns into like we're we're out here for a long time. Why? Because they complain. They get to the promised land. They send 12 spies out. 10 of them come back and say, we can never do it. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb say, no, we can do it. And God says, y'all don't want to go in? Fine. They grumble and they complain. And God says, these people, I'm going to make wander around for 40 years. This is the reason they don't go into the land. And here's what God's response to that moment was. And it's, it's really heart-wrenching. God's saying, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe me? in spite of all the signs that I've done. God said, I've been, I've been faithful for all these time. And these people still won't trust. God wants you to trust him. God wants you to trust him. The greatest need you had, the forgiveness of sins, he has taken care of in Christ. And since God did not spare his own sin, will he not give us all other things? So Paul says, that if we seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added. He has proved he is trustworthy. Does that mean it's going to be easy? You're going to have, are you going to be hungry? Yes. Are you going to be thirsty? Yes. Are you going to be times in the desert? Yes. But he can be trusted. He can be trusted. Look what he does here. Verse 12. I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you will eat meat. In the morning you'll be filled with bread. And you will know that I am the Lord your God. So the evening quail come up. I mean, this is a miracle. I mean, you're talking two million people and, and quail to feed them all. And they're just kind of like landing right at your feet. And they're looking up at you like, eat me for dinner. And they're like, okay. And you take them, you just roast them up. God just provides quail. And in the morning, bread. There's on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And the people go out and they see this and they, and they say, what is it? Literally, manhu in the Hebrew which means, what is it? And so they call it manna, which means, what is it? So for the rest of their 40 years, they call it, what is it every morning? What are we having for breakfast? What is it? It's like the candy bar, whatchamacallit. Remember, this is my favorite candy bar. Whatchamacallit, what, is it? what are you eating? It's a whatchamacallit. What's it? What do we call it? No, it's a whatchamacallit. It's, they call it what, it what they said. So for 40 years, it's, what is it? 
And verse 31 gives us a little of the description of it. Uh, they called it manna. It was like coriander seed, white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. God l- provides them, in essence, a healthy Krispy Kreme every morning. You go outside and there's Krispy Kreme glazed, hot and ready right there. I, I mean, it's sweet. It's the bread of heaven. The, the uh, psalmist calls it the bread of angels. I mean, God doesn't give them like, you know, rotten bread. You know, you can read the commentaries. It's ridiculous, some of the, some of the things that they're, well, this was uh, plant lice, plant lice, or insect poop. Yes, God is so good, he brought insect doo-doo for his people for 40 years. It's ridiculous. This is a miracle. This is God's goodness. Healthy, nutritious, Krispy Kreme taste and stuff that's going to fill you, that's going to provide for you. It's gonna give you sustenance through the wilderness for 40 years. That is the goodness of God. And he wants you to see that so that you will trust him. To trust him, right? God wants our trust because we serve him. That's the point. When we complain, we're saying, God, you're not serving me very well. You aren't meeting my needs. You're not meeting my appetites. You're not meeting what I want. You're not running life the way I think it should be running. But see, that's not, we serve God, not God serves us. It's the difference between a dog and a cat, Right? Our dog loves us. She's the sweetest thing. I mean, she loves us. Like, loves with a full heart, loves us right now. She loves us so much. She's probably tearing up the house. She loves us so much. And she's appreciative. I mean, you give her anything to eat, she loves it. She's kind and sweet. She's thankful because she knows she serves us. Our cat could care less about us. You feed the cat, the cat says, they must think I'm the most important thing. She, she's finicky, she doesn't really care, she kind of hides and does her own thing. There's no love. There's no, I, 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 I serve you. No, we serve her in her mind, right? It's the difference between cats and dogs. This is why God is a dog God. <laughs> and the point is, don't be a cat. A cat thinks that, that you, everything exists for you. No, be a dog. You exist for God. And, and sometimes you're hungry and sometimes you're thirsty and sometimes you're tired and sometimes, but God is good and you can serve him, right? And if you're not happy with your circumstances, which is okay. I mean, it's okay to be thirsty and feel like, I don't like being thirsty. If, you can, if you're not happy with it and you can change your circumstances, change it. And Paul says, look, if, if, you, if you're a slave and you can get free, do it. So if you don't like where you're at, you don't like your job, and you can get a new job, get a new job. You don't like your major? You're like, oh man, I don't want to be an engineer major. I want to be a PE major like Fowler. Change your major to PE, be unemployed. That's fine. You can do what you want. Right? If you can change it, do it. If you, if you got health issues and, 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 and you can take care of it, maybe you need to exercise more, eat healthier, get some better sleep. If you can change that, do it. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. But if, if you cannot change your circumstances, what you don't need is, you don't need new circumstances. What you need is a new perspective. So if you, you have a job and you hate your job, but you can't get a new job, what you need is a change of, you know what, I, I'm just thankful that I can pay my mortgage. And if God has me here, it must be for a reason. And maybe he'll reveal that to me when I stop complaining about this. Because maybe there's somebody at your office who struggles with depression and you struggled with depression 12 months ago and then you're gonna be able to come alongside them and encourage them. Or maybe they lost a, 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 a parent three years ago and, and you did or, and then they're gonna, about to walk through that journey and you can walk with them. You don't know what God has, but if you're just whining and complaining, all you can see is you, you're never gonna see what God has you there for. So what you need is a change in perspective. 
not a change of circumstances, right? You think, well, um, I'm not happy with, uh, you know, this third car of ours. The AC went out, and I'm so sad about that. Really? Third car? I mean, most people don't have third bike, and you have third car? You just need to be thankful that you have a car. Thankful that you have friends. You know, oh, my kid's got another, I have to make 12 cupcakes, and I have to do this project, and I have to go to Walmart at 9.30 at night and get a cardboard because I forgot to tell me. And Hey, in 10 years, that child's going to be gone, and you're going to be wishing you could run to Walmart at 9 o'clock. That's what I'm told anyway. I'm just trusting that's true. <laughs> right? You're going to be wishing there was a t-ball game to go to. Right? You're going to be wishing you were sitting on 516 running to practices because you're going to be sitting around, you know, watching the Hallmark Channel thinking, man, it's quiet around here. So, so it's, just a, it's not a change of circumstance you may need. Maybe it's a change in perspective uh, that God has you where he wanted because he can be trusted, right? And, and, and when you're facing those times where you're like, I don't get it, Lord. I love the old Spurgeon quote. Used it a thousand times, I'll keep using it. That God is too good to be unkind and he's too wise to be mistaken. And so when you cannot trace his hand, you must trust his heart, right? And he's proven his heart and that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died. So, now, so once we trust, here's the second word. Right? We trust and then, not to copy the old hymnal, uh, but we trust and obey. And do not worry, we are not singing that later. I know some of you Baptists got excited for a minute, but uh, don't get too excited. We're going to do it, not sing it. Okay? Um, but we obey. And we obey when it doesn't make sense. And this is hard. Okay, let's own it. When someone's mean to you, when someone slanders you, when someone does you wrong, uh, what you want to do is get back at them. But to obey in that situation would be, I'm going to bless those who curse me. That is challenging, but that is important, right? When you, um, when service is horrible at the restaurant and you're tempted, I want to give them a negative three star on Yelp that you would actually tip 20% anyway because God has been gracious to you when you didn't deserve it. See, that's what it means to be obedient. And all the men in the room are like, don't say that. I'm talking to myself, right? That, that's obedient. Um, when your parents are unfair and they don't understand what it's like to be a this and a that and a, you know, heard it all. When the umpire is wrong, and he may be wrong, he's making like 12 bucks for the game, okay? Give the guy a break. Um, you thank him after the game. Hey, man, thanks, ump, for being here. Because I would never do that. I'd never get back there. Thank you for sacrificing your time for not a lot of money to, to umpire this game. See, that's, that's obedience when it doesn't make sense. And, and what God is going to give them, he's going to give them some rules to obey when it doesn't make sense because it's a test. See, if God is worthy of our trust, he's worthy of our obedience. And so he's going to give instructions. And I don't have time to read it in 16 to 26. Here's the rules. There's two rules. It's really not that hard. They're manner rules. Rule number one, go out every morning and get enough food for you to eat for that day. Mean God, right? Oh, that's a hard rule. No, go get enough food for you that day. Two omers, whatever an omer is. I don't know. I don't have an omer you know, cup at the house, but it, it's enough for someone to eat. It's basically eat enough for your day. Don't keep any leftovers, no Tupperware, no refrigeration. Just get, get what you need for the day, period. That's rule number one. Rule number two, Friday, gather enough food for Friday and Saturday, because what I want for you on Saturday is to relax, to sleep in, 
to have just a rest day where you can go worship. You can just be with your friends. You can just enjoy doing nothing. So on Friday, get enough for Saturday too. Does that sound like a mean, angry God? He's like, oh, I don't want you to have fun. I want you to just get enough food for the day. Fill yourself up. Great. Share with your friends. And on Friday, just get enough for Saturday so you don't have to go and gather because I want you to sleep in. And it sounds pretty easy, right? Pretty, pretty, pretty good of God. How do the people do? How does this test? How do they do this test? <clears throat> Fail. Verse 20, they didn't listen. Some left part of it till morning. And it stank. Everyone wakes up with like, what is that smell? People left it over and it turns all nasty worms. Moses is angry. He's like, y'all, it's two rules. Can't you keep two rules? And then the second one, how'd they do on the Sabbath one? On the seventh day, a bunch of people wake up early and they're out. Where's the manna? And, and God says, how long will these, you refuse to keep my commandments? How long? And here's the idea. All right? It is impossible for us to be grumbling and complaining and, and following and being obedient at the same time. You realize that, right? Because you can't be like driving down the road and trying to be patient and at the same time having your hand out the window with a one finger salute. You can't do them both at the same time. So the point is, focus on, on obeying the revealed will of God, whatever that is. And you may not know down the road and you will, it'll fight the grumbling and the complaining. So you're like, oh, I don't know why I'm not married. I should be married. I got a good job. I'm, you know, this, I'm that, and the other. Okay, you can't do anything about that. Here's what you can do. You can be marryable. You can be faithful, kind, generous, right? And, and let God deal with the marry part, and you just be marryable. You're like, I need a new job. Okay, then you just show up on time, do your work excellent, be respectful, be good at what you do, learn, respect authority, and, and that's what the revealed will of God is. And you let him deal with the other. I want parents to trust me more. I want them to give me more freedom. I want them to whatever. Okay, good. Then be trustworthy. When they say clean your room, clean your room. When they say take out the trash, take out the trash. When they say, uh, you know, you need to go study for that, for that test, go study for the test. And, and, and whether it happens or not, you're obeying the revealed will. See, you may not know the result, but you can do what God has made clear. Because you cannot be disobedient and complain, I mean, obedient and complaining at the same time. You just can't. And so f- focus on following God in this moment. What has God revealed to me? There's some, some you're gonna face a test today. It'd be a little one. You're gonna face a big one in the next year. What does it look like to just be faithful and follow God in this moment? And if you're doing that, you're gonna find yourself less and less whining and complaining because you're focusing on God and not on yourself, right? Not on yourself. That's, that's how we fight it. So we trust, because God is good, he's faithful, we obey. And one more thing, we've talked about this a lot, so we won't deal with it too much. We remember, God is big on memory, right? We've seen it, feasts, festivals. Look what he does in verse 31. It's what he tells them. He says, the house of Israel called it manna, it looked like coriander seed, it's white. And Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land. I want you to remember, I want the people after you to remember the bread. And so they put it in a little jar and it's a miracle that it doesn't get worms overnight, but it doesn't. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an over a manna in it and place it before the Lord. It'd be kept throughout generations. They're gonna keep this jar. They're gonna put it before the tent for now. But after they build the tabernacle, they're gonna put a jar of manna inside the Ark of the Covenant. 
right? And they're going to put 10 commandments inside the Ark of the Covenant. And they're going to put Aaron's rod, which buds at some point, in that, in that Ark of the Covenant to remember. So everywhere they go, there's a reminder. Remember the bread. Remember the bread. Remember the bread. Remember the bread. So when that thing's sitting there in the temple of, of Solomon, remember the bread. Years later. When Indiana Jones finds out things, it, okay, so it wasn't there. But they remember the bread. They remember this is what God did. Remember who he was. Remember he's faithful. And, and we don't have a Ark of the Covenant, right? But let me tell you a little secret. This is the beauty of the book of Exodus. That's why I think it's important for us to study it. Okay, let me tell you a secret about the manna. It wasn't really about the manna. And in chapter seven, which, 17, which we, we read earlier, we won't really unpack it because it's the same story as we saw. When they strike the rock, when Moses strikes the rock and water comes out of it because the people are complaining, it's really not about the rock either. Right? Yeah, in the moment it's about feeding them and in the moment it's about drinking. But when you get to the New Testament, when Jesus shows up and when the apostle Paul shows up, they say, Here, let me tell you what that was really about, what I really want you to remember. Jesus in John 6 he feeds thousands of people with bread and loaves and everyone's chomping around on the bread. Like, this is the best bread I've ever had. And they're eating fish. And Jesus says, let me tell you something about bread. Let me tell you about bread from heaven. You guys talk about manna, bread from heaven. I am the bread from heaven. I'm the bread of life. And if you come to me, you will never hunger. In 1 Corinthians 10, you can read it later. Paul looks back at that, that what happens in chapter 17 when Moses hits the rock. He's a lefty, right? He strikes the rock, water comes out. He says, that rock was Christ who provides the water of life. That's why Jesus said in John 4, when he's at the woman in the well, he says, I can give you water that you'll never thirst again. She says, sir, give me this water, right? See, he is the water of life. He is the bread of life. The manna just points to him. The rock just points to to him because he is the sustainer. He is the one who will meet your needs. Not all your wants, but he will meet your needs. And there's and this whole this whole idea of manna is why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, remember he teaches us to pray and he says, give us this day our what? Daily bread. Where does he get that idea? Oh, I don't know. Manna. When Jesus is tempted in the wilderness by Satan, the first temptation, turn the rock into bread. What does Jesus say? Man does not live by bread alone. But every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, that bread alone quote is from Deuteronomy, which is talking about manna. You don't live by manna. You live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And here's the point for us, is that you are gonna have tests and you're gonna have trials. And the way to combat them and fight them and pass the test is to just continually be feeding on Christ. It's continually be walking with Christ Daily. Notice that Jesus says, give us our daily bread, right? Daily bread. You don't need tomorrow's bread, do you? No, you need for today, what? Today's bread. And I know some of you want to have next week's bread. You need to chill out. All Jesus is promising you is today's bread. Now, maybe he gives you tomorrow's bread too, but all he promises is you'll have enough for whatever I have for you today. You may still be scared. You may still be struggling, but you'll have enough your daily bread. And guess what? Tomorrow, you'll get your daily bread too. You know why? Because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. There's new mercies for you today. And then there's gonna be new mercies for you tomorrow. And it'll be just enough for you to make it past the test every day. But you gotta come to the one who satisfies, the one who feeds you. 
You gotta come to Christ. Because some of you, what you do, you come here on a Sunday and you try to gorge yourself on some, some daily bread and you think that's gonna sustain you till next Sunday. You're famished by next Sunday. You're all, oh, I'm hungry. You're right, you're whining and you're complaining because this is the only, the only spiritual food you get. I think that a direct application for us is, hey, you need to walk with Christ daily. You need to read the scriptures daily or get a podcast that, or something that, that feeds your soul, right? To open up just a proverb a day. Keeps the devil away, right? I mean, just something to feed your soul because what you do when you read scripture, when you meditate on scripture, when you memorize, I hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Where do I hide it? In my heart. The mouth speaks that which fills the heart. So if you're memorizing scripture and you're putting it in your heart, what's gonna come out when the test comes? Not complaining, scripture. And you, you want a good memory verse to start? Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. It's like eight words. You can do that one, right? Th- th- that's the idea. It's just to walk daily, to feed daily. You don't have to memorize Revelation in Greek backwards. And, you know, I mean, just spend time with your God. Feed daily. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice. It opens the door, I'll come in with him and I'll dine with him and he with me. That's what your God wants. That's the point of manna. That's the point of the rock that you would come and feed. Because you know why? Because umpires are gonna get it wrong. Now the one in Atlanta didn't get it wrong, but some umpires will get it wrong. And what we wanna be as the people of God when they get it wrong, you know what? We're trusting. We're trusting. We are being filled with Christ. We're coming to him. We're obeying and we're remember. Not spreading contagious, distorted, waste of time, dishonoring. We want to shine, right? Shine. That's what God calls us to do. So what we're gonna do as, as the church before we go, we're gonna remember in a way that Jesus has given us to remember. We're gonna celebrate the table together and the folks are gonna be handing out the cups. We're still using the COVID cups, but we are passing them out. So we've taken a step in the right direction. Um, and if you're a follower of Jesus, whether you're a guest of ours, you're a member here or not, we, we invite you to partake in this meal together, as Jesus calls it. And it's a meal that reminds us, it remembers the goodness of God, remembers that, that causes us to remember that God is good, that God loves us, that God is for us, that God demonstrates his love for us, and that while we're sinners, Christ has died for us. And so they're going to pass it out. Um, just spend some time, just as they're passing it out, thinking. And if there's been some grumbling, complaining issues, hey, confess that to God. He is faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember the goodness of God. And then we will, I will come back up and we'll celebrate the table together as a body. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to celebrate, to remember, um, to be obedient in something that you've called us to do, to trust you and trust in what you've done. I just pray that your church would be encouraged, that we would shine.